Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Terrace Talk. Norwich City head to Merseyside this weekend to face Everton in the Premier League, hoping to uh, arrest what has been quite an alarming slump for them uh, at the start of this season. We'll get into that in a lot more detail over the next 25 minutes or so. Connor Southwell, delighted to be joined by Norwich fan Nick Dye and football writer for Liverpool World, Will Rooney as well. Gents, thank you so much for, for joining me. Um, Nick, let's let's start with you then from a Norwich perspective. It's all a bit all a bit gloomy at the moment, isn't it? Uh, I was hoping that with, with you coming on, you'd be able to inject some optimism and positivity into the show so uh, for Norwich fans watching this are there are there any reasons to be cheerful at the moment I, I will try my best that that's that's a, that's about as much as I can do um no there are reasons to be cheerful um coming away from just Everton and looking at the big picture if you look at where we are and I know that's the happy clapper singing rhyming slang of you know look where we are look how far we've come Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. Um, but the fact that we're in the Premier League, the fact that we're able to put out a B team that includes the Republic of Ireland centre forward, a wonder kid from Greece, um, it's you know we've got Bali Mamba playing right back, high prospect from the England youth setup. This is our B team now. That that's a far cry from when I used to sit in the in the terraces and watch Norwich. So um, and that's not going back that many years. So yeah, there's reasons to be cheerful. Um, you know, it's, it, it just might mean that it needs to take time and, and if we have enough time. Yeah, uh, I think I think you're right there. Um, we were, of course, speaking after a, a League Cup defeat to Liverpool. So that makes it, what, one win in six competitive games so far this season. Obviously, the, the Premier League statistics are the ones that are going to get a lot of attention. Uh, 15 successive defeats. Obviously, the record held by Sunderland uh, is 20. So, Norwich edging closer to, to that now. We obviously hope that that's broken this weekend at Goodison Park. Um, but just to kind of zoom out and, uh, as you say, reflect on maybe the start of the season, which hasn't gone in the way that Norwich City Daniel Farker will have hoped, although he, he kind of said that they're maybe three points away from perhaps where they expected to be. Uh, it was a very disappointing Watford game, which we'll get into in a bit more detail. But is is that really where Norwich City are at the moment in terms of outlook and certainly looking ahead to the next two games, a tough double header of away games in, in, in the Premier League, Everton and Burnley, where a win, uh, a point, just just anything would, would give them an opportunity to get started in the league and, and to make up for, for lost ground in, in, in the opening five games. Potentially, we may gel and click and put in some really good Premier League performances and not pick up anything either. Um, the fact that we haven't been at it and there has been huge glaring gaps, it's kind of led everyone's attention towards Daniel Farker. Why, is, why are we tactically this way? Why does it not look right? Why does it not feel right? Um, the facts are that the level is just really, really high. Um, and it's going to take time to bed in new players. I remember um, when players would come over from continental Europe, you know, Franco Zola would come over and pundits would say, oh, he needs to have a year to bed himself in, uh, to get used to the league. And, and we're just expecting, you know, young players like Christoph Solis come in at 19 years old out of the Greek league and start scoring goals and winning us games in the Premier League. It's, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot to ask. Um, and I think there's going to need to be a degree of patience. Um, I just don't know how close we are to needing that big, heavy reset button. Um, 
that may mean that we get Premier League survival uh, and what the risk reward of that is. Because the risk is, obviously, we, we do a big reset, it all goes horribly wrong and everyone wants out the door and it's a really negative place to be. The reward is potentially some of these things that are just not quite clicking right now just get thrown out of the window and we start again. For me, every time I'm watching Norwich, I'm like, we got to get rid of the manager. We got to, you know, this is all going wrong. What are we doing? And then afterwards, when I kind of not just listen to Daniel Farker, but just look at it in hindsight and think, well, you know, we're not a million miles away. We just need to keep persisting with the vision and, and see if it comes together. So, you know, I'm, I'm torn right now. Torn, I think, is a, a good way to sum it up. Um, Will, let's let's come to you from an Everton perspective. How's the start of the season gone? Obviously, Rafa Benitez, new new man in the dugout, quite a um, uh, an interesting appointment, of course, for for his history at, at their rivals. Um, what what have fans made of him so far, and, and and what does his team kind of look like at the moment? I don't think Rafa Benitez would have asked for much. Better start to be honest with you. Given as you mentioned, his links across Stanley Park with Liverpool and winning the Champions League, and his, of course his, his small club comments after a nil-nil draw uh, in the Merseyside derby, which Everton fans didn't forget, and um, that was quickly thrown at him. But the thing with Benitez is he lives in the area as long as he well he's lived way to Chelsea and Newcastle. He's always still remains on the wheel. Um, and he understands the culture of Everton fans, and he's really tapped into that quite shrewdly. To be honest with you, he's not being ignorant. He's he's realised that the Everton, what the Everton fans want and what has been lacking for the last few years, and that's having an identity and a connection between the fans and and the team. When they've been chopping the change in the managers with Marco Silva, Coleman, Allardyce. It's and even Ancelotti didn't didn't cut the muscle. It's been tough for Everton fans, but now there's there's an identity back. Um, there's a distinct style of football. It's not your tippy tappy stuff. It's not you playing out from the back, passing it around for the reason, for no reason. But it's getting it, it's about getting it forward quickly. It's not it's not horrible on the eye. It's about loads of crosses, cut, getting into the box, flooding the box, getting them forwards, and that's what Everton fans want. They just want to see the team give it hundred percent every time they, they step out on the pitch. Last couple of results, all right, haven't gone their way. But 10 points from, from five games, they keep that up and they're in the Champions League. Look, they're not going to keep that up. Let's be realistic. The summer was confined by financial fair play constraints um, due to predecessors overspending. And unfortunately, Benitez has come in. He knew what was coming into, teaching on the edge of that. He thought he might have been able to move some big earners on. He wasn't able to. Um, so we had to make do only 1.7 million spent on, on five players, but yeah, so far, good, uh, a good start for Everton, I think. Is, is what, what you said there about financial fair play? I mean, he's, he's seen in football now as being a, a relatively safe pair of hands. He, he did a, a very good job at stabilizing Newcastle, of course, to, despite mm. relegation in the Premier League, they're still there now, um, albeit under a different manager and, and a different sort of style of play but you, you kind of mentioned the spend there two of those players Damari Gray and Andros Townsend seem to have hit the ground running um the style of play point is is interesting are Everton fans beginning to warm to him is is that kind of the sense maybe because it, it did feel like irrespective of kind of uh, what happens with, with him in the future that the start of the season was pivotal for kind of changing people's opinions of him a little bit 
Yeah, definitely. I, I think it would, if it hasn't been a poor start, then he wouldn't have got the patience as, as some others would have, um, just because of his links. But and we've seen it before, and there were, there were a lot of detractors, people saying don't Benitez. Some people saying they don't even want Benitez, not just because he, he'd married Liverpool, but Everton fans maybe wanted wanted someone differently. But as I say, there's there's a connection there now, and he has won a lot over um, after Tuesday night's defeat against QPR and the Carabao Cup. There's been a little bit of backlash, but I think that's more towards the strength of the squad and what's gone on before Benitez arrived, what's been spent. It's it's not, no one's really targeting Benitez as such. It's more what's gone on, say, from Marcel Brands, the, the director of football, the sort of spending from Farhad Mashiri, the owner, um, rather than it all going towards Benitez. Um, because some of the players who played at, at QPR, like John Joe Kenny, wants to a right back in, couldn't get one in. Um, so yeah, um, it's it's positive so far, and look, it's not going to it's going to be ups and downs this season. But I think a lot of Everton fans accept that that it, it, it's a bit of a transitional period, and some some Everton fans one one. I spoke to said we need to give him three years and that's what you need now they've, they've, they've changed the manager too much and there hasn't been the continuity that, that Everton are crying out for yeah a little bit a little bit of stability it does it does feel like that's that's what they need to an extent particularly after Ancelotti left and uh, as you mentioned there's a, a lot of kind of focus on on him and, and what he would offer in some of the players he brought in last summer so it's going to be interesting to see how they they do this season um, Nick let's come back to you as, as we've kind of spoken about being probably I don't know if I'd, I'd, use, I'd say discontent is the word, but maybe growing um, concerns about the start of this season for Norwich City, certainly among supporters. Uh, we, we've seen Daniel Farker transition from what was essentially a four-two-three-one to a four-three-three. We we kind of referenced that game against Liverpool earlier. We saw a kind of a three-five-two formation in that one. How do you expect him to go for this weekend? Do you expect him to stick with that three-man formation now? Do you think he'll revert to a four? How do you kind of see him playing it? Because as we sit here, Norwich have, have had three different partnerships in their opening five Premier League games, which certainly isn't ideal. I, I'm not sure. I, I think the four-two-three-one is something that the fans are really hung up on. Uh, and I think if you go back to uh, the 1920 season, uh, it's... It, it worked, but then when you look at the last time in the Premier League, you've got, you know, we we played Duda in that role. We Kenny McLean had to play in that role, and that position does get lost in the Premier League unless you really play to the strengths of it. Um, and obviously, on the flip side of it, if you want to play a number ten, um, and that the, the role of that player is essentially to roll Team Mufuki in, then you're going to lose a lot on the back end, especially on the counter-attack, where your two centre midfielders are going to get split. You're going to get... Your full-backs are going to get caught high when the 10 gets the ball because they have to show because otherwise you end up too narrow and you're going to get torn apart. So I think that's probably what um, Daniel Farker and his coaching staff looked at and went, 4-2-3-1, we can get away with it when we've got 60-70% of the ball in the championship. I don't know if we're going to get away with it now. Now... Going 4-3-3, what we've found now is we've kind of isolated Todd Cantwell out of the team a little bit because in a 4-2-3-1, he liked to come inside. He could switch around with the 10. Now we're saying, OK, we're going to play with wide players. Rashica, 
clearly needs a little bit more time. Um, but what he wants to do is run at people in, in the wide areas, and and he can break through, and he, and he has he has got that knack of kind of getting through in that one v one situation. Um, the three at the back of the Liverpool game is hard to judge because you know you've got a lot of players in there that haven't played that many minutes, and but it did look a little bit awkward. Um, and I think we're asking an awful lot in a in a two centre back formation. We're asking a lot of Grant Hanley, and people say, "Well, he does it for Scotland." But for Scotland, he heads it and kicks it. Um, he doesn't have to, you know, be the covering defender, sweep around the back. He doesn't have to do so much of uh, the ball playing and playing out because Scotland typically will sit deep against teams, or or if they're not sitting deep, then they're typically against lesser opposition. So. I think Daniel Farker, that's one thing that he's going to need to get right. Uh, I know he played a lot with the three-man system in preseason, So clearly he, he has an idea of it might be something he wants to use in the Premier League. Um, didn't really work at Liverpool, but then he would argue, well, they only had three shots and scored three goals. Um, so maybe. Uh, and we've got Ozanka back to, to drop into that back three. So, you know, where he would fit in, right, left or centre is another one. I think, it, as a guess, I would say he'll probably go back, go back to a 4-3-3. But the other side of the question, I think, rather than a formation, I think what he's going to start doing now is leaning on more experienced players because we've seen mistakes out of Brandon Williams. And I think, and we've also seen amazing performances out of him. And I think when you're playing a lot of these younger players, Billy Gilmore, Another one who's made mistakes and, and cost us this season, although he's also put in brilliant displays. I think when he, when we're trying to grind out points and we're trying to grind out wins and we're trying to just trying to establish ourselves in the relegation race uh, to get out of that bottom three, I think he might start turning to some more experienced players. Uh, and I think we might start to see more of Yanulis. We might start to see a midfield that includes uh, Norman, Pierre-Les Malou, uh, Kenny McLean, just something to create a little bit more grit and determination in there versus the free-flowing football that we're used to. And I don't think Norwich fans will be too upset about that. I think that's kind of what we need right now. And that might be the reset that we need. Is is, is it at the moment for Daniel Farker uh, uh, maybe an internal battle between idealism and pragmatism? It's kind of what it feels like. We all know how Daniel Farker wants to play football. As you've articulately put there, in the Premier League, it's it's very difficult to do that and, and to implement his style of play. The fundamentals will always stay the same, of course. But in terms of what we saw last season, Norwich dominating the ball, dominating opponents, getting at, at teams, it's just a lot harder to do in the Premier League because of everything that we spoke about in terms of quality. So... Is this Daniel Farker's compromise between idealism and pragmatism, do you feel, this kind of newfound shape and system and, and approach that we're seeing from Norwich City at the moment? Yeah, and I don't know how happy he is with it. When he came in, it was, I want to have the ball for 90 minutes and that's how I that's how I train my teams, that's how I want my teams to play. And now we're looking at the Premier League and coming off the back of the last season we were up and he's going, if I do that again, we're probably going to get relegated. So I'm going to have to find a compromise somewhere now where that compromise is whether he feels comfortable with that whether the players he's brought in or Stuart Webber's brought in or the recruitment team's brought in are players that he feels can bring him both I, it, it's all we just haven't seen enough performances to warrant to see where this team's going to go um, and if Daniel Farker is going to 
essentially sacrifice trying to keep the ball against Liverpool with the three-man system. I thought there was one really, really good passage of play where Billy Gilmore picked up the ball, got it on the turn, played it forwards, quick counter-attacking play. And that's what I expected of Norwich this season to be far more like that um, versus the um, quite tiresome build-up um, where teams are just creeping up on us and then setting their press. Uh, and then we're starting to see mistakes out of Cruel. We're starting to see the mistakes. You know, we've seen goals leaked out of Brandon Williams from that scenario. Um, Gibson's been caught out. So I think I think we may have to revert. I just don't know how happy Daniel Farker is with that and whether he has the ability to change a lot of his methods and change his ideals in order to suit the picture that Norwich City needs. Yeah, it's it's an interesting debate and one that I, I expect will rumble on beyond this weekend, irrespective of of what happens. Will, let's let's come back to you. You mentioned the the cup defeat that Everton had uh, on on Tuesday evening. Um, before that, arguably a more con- well certainly a more concerning result in terms of three 0 defeat to Aston Villa. Um, what has kind of been the response? from fans to that and, and, and talk us through that game a little bit and because it was a, essentially a nine-minute spell, wasn't it, where Aston Villa scored three goals. So what, what was what was the issues? What led to, to that happening? I think when you were about four regular starters, four key players and your two main strikers were Charles and Dominic Calvert-Loon, your captain, James Coleman, and the number one for England, Jordan Pickford. Any team who, who are missing those players at struggle. Um, never mind an Everton squad that doesn't boast an array of, of strength and depth. For 60 minutes, Everton competed. Ultimately, it came down to the substitutes that, that both sides were capable of making. Everton on the bench, they had their attacking options where Anthony Gordon, who was on loan in the Championship last season at Preston, and Ellis Sims, who was on loan in, in League One and has only just recovered from a hamstring injury. On the flip side, you have Villa with Leon Bailey, who paid £30 million for from Bayer Leverkusen. He comes on and unsurprisingly changes the game. And that was it for Everton at, at Villa for 60 minutes. They competed, they looked decent on the on the counter-attack before uh, Matty Cash opened the score and Damari Gray flashed a shot just wide if that had gone in. Things might have been different, but it was the attacking options on the bench. Um, Solomon Ron's on making making his full debut. Doesn't quite look fit yet. Um, didn't look fit against QPR either. So it was just all those things, and obviously Hamas Rodriguez as well. Not not there, and is now subsequently left to to join Qatar. It's it's not the most I'm trying to put trying to articulate it the right way. I don't think Rafa Benitez. Envisage this attacking option to be as short, threadbare, even in the summer. Um, but unfortunately, that's that's what it's like at the minute with with two strikers out, and then you've got players like Anthony Gordon who, who need to step up and aren't quite at, at the level yet. So I, th- I think there are mitigating circumstances. Don't get me wrong; the, the glimpses there against Villa, and I think against Norwich now on Saturday, it's just a case of grinding out three points if they can because they need to take advantage now of, of Norwich's situation. They need to somehow grind out three points. Um then they can go to United in the next game and understandably if, if they have players out again, there'll be no there'll be no grumblings from the terraces on the on the or on the the coaches own that Evan have maybe got a, a good eye at Man United because they will be short of key men. 
Well, this was um, going to be my follow-up, really. You mentioned four players there, and I'm sure Norwich fans listening to this, their eyes might have lit up a little bit, as, as you mentioned, um, those potentially, well, certainly missing last weekend. What is the kind of the status of those players heading into this weekend? Do you expect them to, to return? Do you expect a few of them to, to return? No, no, I don't expect any. If um, the injury situation's got worse for Everton there, QPR, Luca Dean come off injured, so did Andre Gomez as well, Benitez. Wasn't too fearful of, of either, but you never know of these things. Dean might be injured. And then you, you, your first choice left-back, and then when they cover, real, real cover at left-back, um, they let Nkuku go uh, on loan to, to Standard Liège on, on deadline day, which confused a, a few people. And Thierry Small, who, who's the club's youngest ever player, um, forced a move to Southampton on the right-hand side. You've got John Joe Kenny covering um, a QPR, and he didn't have his best games and have a Great loan spell at Celtic last season, either. Um, and Ben Goffrey plays plays on the right hand side of Villa and got exposed a couple of times. So, this is this is what I'm talking about. It why Everton fans the the ire wasn't directed at Benitez. Um, it was why it was more directed to to the powers to be after QPR because they've got in this situation. Everton fans knew it it, it might have been unlikely, but in the hypothetical situation after the the window slammed shut, they were saying, "Well, what happens if if both our fullbacks get injured at the same time?" Well. They might have that situation on their hands now, Everton, and that's what I mean. If Everton can grind out a win, it'll, it'll feel like an absolutely massive result. It's, it's interesting what you said in, in your first part of your answer there about maybe this weekend being an opportunity just to, well, certainly to respond first and foremost, but equally to take the pressure off that trip to Old Trafford, which is mm. immensely difficult at any time of the year. So do you expect... Fan, well, so whenever Norwich comes to town, I feel like whenever we get an opposition fan on uh, in, in the Premier League, it's it's uh, one they circle and, and look at as, as being three points. But particularly given the situation Norwich are in at the moment, Everton will be looking at this one as, uh, as a must-win irrespective of their injuries. Yeah, of course you would. I mean, Everton rightly so want to want to keep kicking, kicking on after the good start to the season. You'd be, be behind that one and thinking, as you say, when you look at your fix, you think, right, we should be getting three points there. The task is is a lot loftier now. Um, especially you do wonder if if Damari Gray has an off day and, and Townsend as well, both of them started superbly. Both of those have an off day where the goal's coming from. Ron's on hasn't done too much as I say yet to Corey score in the opening opening day of the season, but behind those, um maybe a set piece, I don't know. I'm sure I Fans now will we'll take a scruffy set piece goal now and, and walk away with a, a one 0 win. It might look not look the, the prettiest, um, but with with circumstances against them and and let's be honest, knowledge are bound to bound to pick up points at some points. Are they not going to go the full season without picking up a, a few wins here and there? Um, it's going to happen. So let's let Everton fans be hoping such was it, it's not this weekend where where knowledge get the first point of the season. Yeah, let's let's hope they pick up points. We'll have <laughs> for an extremely long season. Um, to throw it over to you, this is, as we said in in, the, in, in Premier League terms, we, we spoke a lot last week about the home games coming up, starting of course with Watford, which didn't end in a particularly good way. And I'll ask you about that game in a moment. But just looking at these games in isolation, these next two before the October international break, Everton and Burnley, um, two long trips, two trips to, to difficult places. Norwich, of course, picked up their only away win last time around at Goodison Park. Um, how important a game or, or two games, if you want to stretch it out like that, 
is this not necessarily for Norwich City's prospects in terms of survival this season? Because I think even um, even those who have already confined Norwich to relegation will, will probably know that after seven games, you're, you're not down. But obviously, for the mood, it, it feels fairly important that they pick up at least something from these two games. I thought we were down. I thought it was. I thought it was over already. <laughs> so maybe maybe we can go to Everton and get some. There might be a glimmer of hope there. No, we don't have Dennis Trebeni this time, Will, so uh, <laughs> that, that won't be happening again. <laughs> but yeah, of course, the uh, the mood has to change at some point, right? We we have we we have to we have to find a way. How long that takes is you know, at some point we're at a shot to nothing, and that is what hurts Norwich fans the most because a shot to nothing was not what we expected coming up this season. What we expected coming up this season was investment and to look like a Premier League team so that we didn't have to do what we did last time, which is, you know, basically hold our breath and, you know, look through our fingers at the games because we knew we couldn't be competitive. Um, and quite honestly, it was Daniel Farker that got us to the Premier League with that squad. Uh, it wasn't reinvested in, um, not nearly to the level that we now see as Norwich fans. When you do start investing, it's still tough. So what he was able to produce in that first season was was still still great to pick up points and to pick up wins at, at Goodison Park and, and other places as well. Um, so, yeah, of course, I think the mood can change quickly. I mean, these are the types of... When you look at teams, Everton are not a team that's in and around us, but when they're struggling with injuries, um, any team in the Premier League, you look at Liverpool, um, when they miss a couple of key players, suddenly anyone could beat them on their day. So if teams are going to start to pick up injuries, and that's where Norwich have strengthened. We have brought in a bigger squad. We have now got more options where it's not threadbare um, should we start to pick up injuries. Um, right now, we don't have a huge amount of injuries. So if we do go to Everton and we kind of get rolled over uh, with Everton missing players, if, if they are going to be missing, um, that, that's going to be one of those nails in the coffin, I think, for, for the current setup of Norwich City Football Club. I don't want to um, talk about it too much because it's been it's been analysed to death. There's a lot of disappointment about it. But just very quickly, that Watford game um, to to look back on that, it was it was dreadful, wasn't it? I, th I think that's probably the only word we can we can really use. I mean, the first game that really supporters were hoping, expecting, maybe even Norwich City to pick up points, and and the performance probably didn't um, didn't warrant the support, I suppose that, that that they were given for for long portions of that game. Yeah, I, I don't think I've ever been so nervous or anxious when one player picks up the ball. But it's not a star. That guy, every time he picks up the ball and he looks like he's moving about 5% of his speed and everyone around him is just freaking out. And I think that you know shows you where Norwich are at right now. Is We were just completely worried about him. And because we were so focused on him, uh, things just started happening around us. And you know the game slips away from you. It's, in the Premier League, the game slips away. The season, that the the eighteen nineteen season, when we went up, we would go two goals down and we wouldn't, you know, don't worry, Norwich have got this. Uh, you know, 3-0 down to Forest at home, uh, you know, going behind at Millwall in the last minute. We could quickly turn things around. The Premier League, you know, we saw how stubborn Watford were after they scored that third goal. And there's still 10 minutes left in the game. You would think with a crowd behind Norwich and... Uh, the, f the fact that we're bringing on attacking players, we might be able to have a bit more of a go. It's hard at this level to come back. Uh, so letting those early goals in 
Um, and they're probably, you know, Ozan Quebec would probably hold his hands up and say, yeah, made a mistake there and probably should have seen the run and come across him. Uh, but when you start leaking those types of goals, it's really hard to win. And that's my fear with Everton and Burnley is they score in the first 20, 30 minutes and then it's almost impossible for Norwich to get back into the game. Yeah, they're conceding goals far too easily at the moment. Another three, of course, in midweek in that Carabao Cup game against a, a, a well, much-changed Liverpool side without uh, quite a few of their big hitters. So maybe Everton will, will take some hope from from what they saw on, on Tuesday night. Um, will, just very quickly, before I ask you about how you see this uh, this game going, Ben Godfrey, um, most Norwich fans, of course, will, will be interested in his progress at Everton. He, he obviously signed for, for the Blues last summer. Um talk to us a little bit about how he's getting on and, and his progression at the club because it seems like he's ended up as kind of a makeshift fullback at times. Yeah, I think um, his progression has been hurtling, to be honest with you. I don't think anyone expects him to, to maybe progress as, as, as well as he did. I think when he came in, you think, oh, signed defender who's, who's gone down with knowledge. What, what are we getting him in for? Well, I think he quickly um, quickly showed his, his qualities. And as you say, filled in at right-back last season at times left back when, when Dean was out and, and Fabian Delphi who, who first uh, deputised there got injured and then and then Godfrey had to uh, had to fill the void. So yeah he's done he's done superbly he's one of those who you, you look at Everton and you think they need to start progressing now because look oh, at Richardson's the prize assets and you got Calvert Lewin but he's not far behind him now Ben Godfrey um definitely not he's only getting better um Real, real asset. I think. I think a lot of Everton fans will will concur that when everyone's fit, he's probably the, the strongest centre centre half, along with Yeti Mina. Um, to be ahead of you know Michael Keane and and Mason Holiday to establish at this level. Let's face it, um, it, it's a real compliment. Yeah, real, real asset for Everton. Real shrewd signing and. He's got plenty of time on his hands, hasn't he? I'm sure that uh, Norwich fans will hope that, that he might be moved on and there'll be a nice little windfall with a, a sell-on fee uh, that's likely in Storm's contract. Yeah, abs- absolutely. Um, I remembered fondly, I, I, I'm sure Nick will agree, by, by Norwich fans. So uh, really good to see him doing well, although hopefully he, he has an off day on Saturday and, and helps out his former club a little bit. That'll be good. Um, well, I'll throw it straight back to you then. So, uh, if, well, injury problems at Everton. Um start of the season that's been bright response needed from that well two defeats really to Villa and then QPR in the cup so how do you see this one going from kind of an Everton perspective as you said one they will have circled with three points in mind do you think they'll be able to do that this weekend yeah it'll be tight won't it? it'll be back to the drawing ball for, for Rafa Benitez um, what he does from the team that the plays obviously it'll be dictated by whether Dean's fit or even Andre Gomez, because you think with with Rondon, your only sole striker, you'd probably try and play three man midfield and, and play Rondon up top on his own, like he, he did at uh, a filler. Um, so yeah, I think it'll be tight. I think Everton fans are snapping hands off for a one nil win now. So um, yeah, I'll go uh, a one nil win from a whole well knowledge of uh, set piece defender. I mean the best this season as it. So uh, Everton try and try and take advantage of that. Very diplomatic, Will, <laughs> in terms of Norwich City's uh, defend, <laughs> defending a set pieces. Nick, I'll throw it across to you. Um, do you see this being the weekend that Norwich get their first point slash points on, on the board? Maybe. Uh, I I can see I can see us without... I mean, if Everton are missing Calvert-Lewin and Richardson and, and if we can't keep them to one goal 
that then we are in big trouble. Um, so, and I can see us scoring. So I'll go for a one-one draw to kickstart our season. Lovely stuff, gents. Thank you so much for joining me, Nick. And we'll uh, we'll of course leave all the links to to the relevant socials and, and pages where you can check out uh, some more of their stuff. Uh, thank you all for for watching. Let's hope Norwich City can get a point, maybe even three, on the board this weekend. And uh, we're talking next week in a lot more glowing terms about this Norwich City side. Thank you very much for watching.